Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Kyle. Strong entrance. Uh, and I serve as one of the pastors here, our student pastor. Uh, just a joy to, to be with you this morning uh, and, and delighted that you are here as well. Uh, what we've been doing is we've, we've been worshiping through song, and we're just going to continue doing that. We're going to worship uh, now through prayer and uh, praying together. And, and we do that for, for a handful of reasons, but, but two in particular. One is because prayer really aligns our heart with the heart of God. And, and as a people, uh, prayer is this acknowledgement that, that we need God to do something that only he can do. But the second is because uh, scripture really instructs us to pray with one another and to pray for one another. And so uh, as, as I pray, I'm going to lead us through this, but I would just encourage you to uh, actively listen or, or even to pray alongside of me as we continue uh, worshiping together, okay? So let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads and join me in prayer. Father, thank you uh, this morning. Lord, you have been so kind to us. Lord, we have a thousand reasons to, to thank you for all that you have done on our behalf. Lord, we recognize you as the giver of every good and perfect gift. But Lord, we this morning want to just acknowledge you uh, and thank you for who you are. Your very heart is merciful, it's gracious, it's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Lord, your kindness even this morning is seen in the rain. And we marvel at your patience and compassion towards us. Lord, you have heard our prayers this morning. You've heard our conversations this morning. You've heard our singing this morning. And this morning, we want to obey your word and cast our cares on you and ask of you even more than we already have. And it's not because you've been stingy towards us. It's not because we even lack anything. But it's because we want the watching world to see just how kind, how faithful, how reliable you are. Lord, as we have studied James, we are reminded how often as your people we have been hearers of the word and not doers. Lord, time and time again, we have chosen our own way because it's what we think is best. We have rebelled against you directly and indirectly. Lord, as we look at James 3 this morning, we, we know how often we have used our words intentionally and unintentionally to tear people down. Lord, we have gossiped. We have been sharp. We have been unloving with our words. And in all of this, it shows us how desperately we need help. But more than that, how desperately we need a Savior. And so thank you for sending Jesus, who loved us so much that, that he was willing to lay down his life. Lord, who, who never spoke an unkind word. And so this, this week, Lord, would by your spirit, would you help us make great strides in holiness and in Christ-likeness with our words? Lord, we want to pray and continue to ask for the members of this church who are in need at this time. Lord, we ask that you show yourself to be their provider and their comfort. We know that there are many who are sick right now, and we ask that you would uh, show your kindness and compassion to them. Lord, we ask for their health, for their strength, but even more than that, we ask for their faith 
and trust in you. Father, we want to also pray for our basketball league. Lord, as the middle school league comes to an end and as the high school one looks to begin here in a couple of weeks, we, we ask that those who are playing in this league who do not know you would come to know you. Lord, thank you for a place that we can host uh, such an impactful ministry. Lord, we ask that many might be saved and that there would be lasting fruit that would come about from this. Lord, we pray for our missionaries who have been sent from this church, specifically this morning, as we have two of them with us who are really going to a place and, and risking their lives. And Lord, we're excited to hear from them at the end of the service. But Lord, as they risk what they have, we ask for your protection over them. Lord, would you give them joy? Would you give them endurance? But more than that, we ask that your name would be made much of through them. Lord, that there would be people even now who do not know you, who would come to know you because of how you've used them. Father, we ask now that as we hear your word preached, that you would remind us of the great hope that we have in the gospel and that you would increase our faith. We ask that you would strengthen us through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. Thanks, Kyle. Well, thank you for being here with us today. And as you've heard, we've been in the book of James. This series is entitled Sweet Sanity, and sanity comes when we actually do what God calls us to do. But so often we hear what we're supposed to do, and yet we, we don't do it. Uh, I thought of a story from my life this past year. About a year ago, I witnessed a great injustice in the middle of a seventh grade boys basketball game. And I should have known better. I should have kept my mouth shut, which I was able to do, but I wasn't able to, to take a dig online at a passive-aggressive statement on Twitter. Now, not a lot of people read what I say on Twitter, but apparently the right people read what I say on Twitter, and it created quite the firestorm. I issued an apology, wrote an email, and, uh, and saw the futility of my words, and uh, even though I didn't say them out loud, right, whether you text something, you say something, you write something, those are all words that come ultimately from inside of us, and it was a humbling experience as I should have known better. I should have kept my mouth shut, but I didn't, and unfortunately in my life, there's no shortage of material of when I should have kept my mouth shut. I remember as a little kid, my parents said, Tyson, one day God is going to use all those words that you say for something good. And uh, I'm still hoping out for that for one day. But um, for today, I want to share with you about your words. I, I would encourage you, this is not something that is just uh, a me problem, although it certainly is my problem. It's all of us problem. And if you want to feel better about yourself today, maybe at lunch or in your small group, spend a time and just go around and share uh, some time that you said something that you wish you could take back. And one thing that you'll find is that we all have those moments. You probably had something in the last week. Good news is if you said something at Thanksgiving, you can redeem yourself at Christmas, and hopefully this message today will help you out in that. Words have such power, which I think is why James spends so much time on our words. And the difficulty today will not be in understanding what I'm talking about. No one will struggle to understand what I'm trying to lay out from God's word today. The difficulty will be in actually doing it. Because our words have such power and they carry such weight. They have the power to build up. They have the power to tear down. And James spends a good portion, not only of this chapter, but also throughout the rest of the book, highlighting the importance of our words. And so today, that's what we're going to be talking about. In James chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. 
When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James begins his instructions on the power of the tongue by saying, not many of you should desire to be teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This is probably one of my top five least favorite verses in all of the Bible. I dread this verse. But what James is trying to help us understand is not that we shouldn't teach, because many of you have a gift of teaching. By the way, this isn't just for pastors, right? You're teaching all the time. If you're a parent, you're teaching. But specifically in this context, he's thinking of those who are teaching God's word. It applies to all of us. James seems to be addressing a problem with teachers. And if you think about what happens, James is in charge of the Jerusalem church. Many Pharisees would have come to know Jesus, we know. And they loved, in that culture, to elevate the person who was the teacher. Think about it. Most of the culture, most of the people in the culture, couldn't necessarily even read or write. So when someone comes into the room and says, well, this is what God has to say, or this is what his word has to say, they naturally get the position elevated, and it becomes really easy for that person to take advantage of it. James says, not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. He's not trying to dissuade, but he's setting the tone of seriousness around what teaching is and why it's important. I also think that he saw his brother as he struggled with the Pharisees, as he watched the Pharisees struggle with this as well, right? The more they came to know, the more that they tried to hold people down with it. The reality is the more knowledge that we have, it inevitably builds or puffs us up. I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1, where he says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The more that we come to know, especially for those of us who are teachers, we naturally become a little bit more conceited, a little bit more prideful, or at least there's the opportunity to do so. And so before James gets into any other words, one of the most dangerous places for our words to take place is for those of us who are teaching, because we have the opportunity to do incredible good or harm. It's the same thing that you and I both have the power to do. And he says that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, the judgment that he's speaking of is not in the sense of condemnation. If you remember, Paul told the Romans, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. But it does not eliminate the possibility, if I'm teaching something and you know me really well and you go, wait a minute, Tyson says this, but he does this, there's a natural judgment that occurs because of that. There's a natural judgment that comes, and not in the sense of a condemnation, but certainly in the potential for discipline or correction or even loss of reward. And as you think about judgment, it's not in the sense that necessarily that it would happen immediately, although it could. 
One of the best examples I've thought of this to hopefully illustrate what, what James is talking about is, do you remember in Moses' life, when Moses is leading the people out of the, the land of Egypt, and they run out of water. The first time they run out of water, God tells them, strike your rock with a staff, and water will pour forth from that. The nation of Israel moves on from that moment, and they go to another place, and God tells Moses, he says, look, this time I want you to speak to the rock. I do not want you to hit the rock. And what happens? Well, read Numbers chapter 20 if you get a chance this week, because Moses, you can sense it in the text, he becomes extremely frustrated with these people. And what does he do? He doesn't speak to the rock. He instead goes back to what he knows. He strikes the rock. Water comes forth. But God tells him and Aaron, he says, because you didn't honor me in the sight of all people, you don't get to go into the promised land. You see a natural judgment that overflows from not obeying what God had told him to do. And I think that's often what happens in the lives of teachers is that there's, a, there's a, a, not only a judgment from within, from all of us, where you go, wait a minute, that doesn't line up. That doesn't look like you. But there's also the possibility of a loss of reward or a discipline in some regards that James is talking about when he talks about judgment. I want you to contrast that kind of thinking with what Jesus did. Think of all the times where he just didn't speak whether it was before Pilate, whether it was in the garden, whether it was when someone asked him a question. It's been said that throughout the Gospels that there were 183 questions that Jesus was asked and he only directly answered three of them. But what he often did was came back with more questions, 307 more questions. And so instead of speaking what he knew to be true, Jesus sets the tone for what you and I are to act like when it comes to our words. I knew this a year ago, and I failed to do it. Just because you have a voice doesn't mean you need to use it. And in our culture, it is the exact opposite. You have a voice, therefore you should share it, whether we want to hear it or not. But think back to what Jesus is saying. Jesus was a teacher, and he could have outsmarted, outwit, outspoke, outmaneuvered any person on the planet and yet often we see him not saying a thing. James goes on to widen the net, and he says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. No one is exempt from the problem of the tongue. He starts with teachers, but as he widens the net, he says, Look, if you were able to keep your tongue in check, if you were able to, you would be perfect. Not just in the sense of perfection, but you'd be complete. Your whole body would be kept exactly the way that God wants it to be. But for so many of us, we understand this struggle because we do say things that we wish we could take back. And our tongue is an issue in our lives. And so James says, look, if there was a way to keep it in check, our whole body would be kept in check. We all stumble in many ways. I think he's specifically talking about all the different ways in which we fail in regards to our tongue. Then he gives three examples to help us understand the impact of our words. Verse 3, he says, When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. The first example he gives, keep in mind, in the first century, this would have been an illustration that, that sank home with everyone. They knew what horses were. They used them quite often. And he says, look, just as you put a bit into the mouth of a horse, you can make the whole animal go where you want it to go. Fun fact, the bit is placed over the tongue, and I think I would be it'd be helpful if I had one of those sometimes because it is over the tongue and it's able at that point, then it's able to direct the animal where it needs to go. And James says, just as that small little piece holds the tongue and directs the horse where it needs to go, so much of the hurt in our lives is not what's been done 
but it's what has been said. And so the first example that James gives is he says, look, just as we put a bit into the mouth of a horse to control the whole animal, your words or your tongue controls you. The second example he gives is in verse 4, where he says, or take ships as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. It's not only the picture of a large ship and a small rudder, but there's also the power of the pilot being able to navigate. We have the choice to navigate how our words are used every day to build people up or to tear them down. I love ships, especially aircraft carriers, and uh, one of my favorite ones that just came out with here a couple years ago is the USS Gerald Ford. There's a picture of it behind me. It is almost a quarter mile long. Think about that. A quarter mile long houses 75 airplanes at any given time, but the rudders are roughly, and they don't give you this because they don't want people to know it, but estimated at about 30 by 22, the size of the stage. So if you flip this up on end, there's two of those, and that's what directs that massive warship. And James says, just as that small rudder tells that massive ship where to go, that's the power of the tongue. James isn't advocating for silence, right? Because I can hear some of you say, well, I just won't say anything anymore. If this is the problem, I will just be silent. That is not what he's advocating for. He's trying to help us understand the dangers against it and help us use it in the correct way. And so you see this massive ship and the capability of it, but it's directed by a relatively small, when you think of a quarter mile versus 30 by 22, that's a, a huge differential. And James says that small rudder, when given to the pilot to direct wherever he wants to go, has incredible power. This past summer, I was doing a project outside, and it got really hot, so I was sitting down, drinking a sweet tea, taking a break, and I'm a loser, so I just start reading the uh, warning label of a circular saw. Have you ever done that? Probably nobody. If you read the warning label to a circular saw, you would never use it again. You just wouldn't. You read all the things that could happen to you. There's electrocution. There's, like, cutting off of limbs. There's your eyes gouged out. I mean, there's just so many possibilities. But if you use it in the right way, if you can control it, if you use the protective things that you have around you, it's actually an incredibly useful tool. And as I was reading this circular saw, I was like, get the thing away from me. But at the same time, I'm reminded today that that's our tongue, right? If we put the safeguards around it, if we, if we do the right things with it, if we steer it in the right way, it's possible to use our words in a way that's honoring to God and helpful for others. So there's bits in the mouth of horses or a rudder on a ship that controls ultimately the direction. And what we see is that your words determine the direction of your life. Your words determine the direction of your life. I want you to think about every major conflict in your life. It was probably not an event. It was probably something that was said. Now, I don't want to minimize because there have been terrible events that have happened in people's lives. But as you look back, out of all the strife and all the conflict that I encounter, most of the time it's because somebody said something or didn't say something. And just like we would operate a circular saw in the right way, you've got to use your words in a way because it not only determines what immediately happens with you, but it determines the direction of your life moving forward. James goes on in verse 5 to say, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. 
It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, James is just going to drive the point home of how bad this is. But I don't want you to walk out of here defeated today. Because in spite of all the bad that happens, I want you to think back. Some of your greatest teachers that you've ever had when using their words correctly were super helpful. Right? I think of my high school English teacher, Mr. Glidden, he had a lot of words. Some were colorful, some were not. But he was super helpful with his words. Right? You contrast that with a bad teacher who maybe tore you down or didn't build you up. And James says that our words, the tongue is such a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. He alludes to our inclination to naturally boast and brag as opposed to build up and encourage others. It's been said that the Chicago fire was started when a cow knocked over a lantern and destroyed the whole city. And that little spark of fire, James goes on to say that the tongue is a fire, and fire uncontained breeds more fire. As long as there's something else to burn, it just continues to go. And James says that if your tongue is not held in check, it's going to continue to destroy. It's going to continue to cause problems. It's going to continue to burn. And he says in verse 6 that it's a fire, that it's a world of evil among the parts of the body. I love that picture that he gives us. It's a world of evil, meaning there's an infinite capacity for your tongue to cause harm, but there's also an infinite capacity for your tongue to help out. It's a world of evil among, or it's a world of evil among the parts of the body. There are so many ways in which it can do good and so many ways in which it can do bad. I thought of the, the internet, right? You can't do a home project without going to YouTube. Right? But there's also a lot of terrible things on the internet. It's the same way with your words. It's a, it's, a, it's a world just like the internet. That there is such a possibility to do great good or great harm. And James says if we don't keep it in check. It's a world that will set the whole course of one's life on fire. Once again, your words determine the direction of your life. And then lastly, he says, it's itself set on fire by hell. Now, in English, we use hell for a variety of different words in the Greek and the Hebrew. And for this in particular Greek word, it was of Gehenna. Gehenna is the spot outside of Jerusalem that is the natural trash heap that just burns and burns and burns and burns. And James says that your words come from that place, a place of just constant smoldering, smelly, stinky, burning. And it's in a very real sense that he's thinking, obviously he's in Jerusalem, as he's thinking of that place, that's where your words come from. But then also there's a very real sense that our words, if not kept in check, come straight from Satan himself at times. And so... He moves beyond speech to help us see that our words have the power to cause the direction of our life to change and that unchecked, they will continue to burn on and on and on. Verse 7, James goes on to say, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So not only is it a fire, and not only is it to have the capacity to direct your life, and not only unchecked will it cause great problems, he goes on to say that this can't be tamed. And he uses the same classification that is used in Genesis, right? When Genesis, in Genesis, in the first part of Genesis, it gives the same classification that there's animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures, just to show that since creation has happened, those things have been tamed, but your tongue cannot be fully tamed. 
And he ties back to that to help us see that there are so many things in life that we've been able to wrestle and get a hold of. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. When I was at the dentist recently, you know, they make you stick your tongue out, but you can't even get a hold of it with your fingers. So they wrap some fancy thing around it and yank it out of your mouth, and then they check all around it. But it was reminding me of this. It's a restless evil, right? It's something you can't get a hold of. And even though we've tamed birds and reptiles and animals and sea creatures, your tongue is so incredibly difficult to tame. This is not a reason to give up, though. I was reminded when I was studying music in college, there was a piece by Rachmaninoff that you were, we were told to study and to understand and to fully comprehend, and there's no way to do that. The guy was this crazy Russian guy that wrote some of the most difficult pieces of music, right? But that didn't dissuade us from going, you know what, we're going to figure this out. We're going to start to understand more why of what he was doing. And so when you look at this, you can't look at your tongue and be like, well, I'll just shut up and be quiet, although you may need to. You can't just look at it and check out and say, well, I'm done. I'm not going to be a part of fighting against this anymore. No, we, if it was anything else in life, we would say, I'm going to work on doing this. I'm going to strive to understand this better. And James helps us see that with our tongue, verse 9, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. One of the things that you'll see in the book of James that's so interesting, if you get a chance, read through it the next time you read through it, is there's this duality or this comparison contrast. Let me give you a few of them. He says that it's impossible to please God and man. That God opposes the grace but gives, or opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You can't have faith without works. You don't have because you don't ask. There's all these contrasting statements that he gives, and this one is no different. You cannot praise God and curse man. And so a lot of times we think our words are internal, that they only affect our locale, so to speak. And I was reminded so much that when I threw that out on Twitter last year, my words moved beyond just here, and it was everywhere. And what a picture that James helps us see here is that, look, it's not just a problem in our life, it's a problem with our worship. Not in the words that we sing necessarily, but it's in regards to how we live our lives. It's, you can't praise God and curse man. That's not how it should be. And then he says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And James starts to move us now to help us understand what the problem is. A salt spring doesn't produce fresh water, and a fresh water doesn't produce salt spring, and grapes, vines don't produce figs, and figs don't produce grapes. The unfortunate part of our words, and we see this throughout the rest of Scripture as well, is it's not just a word problem, it's not a tongue problem, it's not a wrestling problem, it's a heart problem. I want to read for you a passage that Jesus, or Luke records out of Jesus' life, and I want you to hear how similar this sounds to what James, his brother, records here. It's in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn brushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings up the good things of the good stored up in his heart, but an evil man brings up the evil things out of the evil that's stored up in his heart. And then here's the terrible line, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. James uses the ship and the horse and the, and the fire to help us see the devastation of our tongue. But then he takes it 
a step further and says, no, this isn't just the devastation that occurs. This is who you are. That there's a salt spring that doesn't produce fresh water, that it's an internal heart problem. Our words are not just a wrestling and trying harder to, to, to wrap them up. It's a heart issue that we have to struggle with. And so what we come to see is that a changed heart is the only way to change your words. A changed heart is the only way to change your words. And unfortunately, that's something only you can allow God to do. You can say all day you're going to change your heart. That's a very difficult task. And so a changed heart is the only way to change your words. And I think there's a couple of things I want to share. First off, um, when we think of the gospel or the good news, it's always good news on the day of salvation, right? Paul tells the Romans, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's good news. And everybody's excited about it on that day. But it's also good news on the day when you realize that your words have gotten you further down the road and changed the direction of your life. Because through the good news of what Jesus has done, he gives us the capacity to choose to love God over ourselves. He gives us the capacity to ask for forgiveness for the bad things that we've said or the things that we've done. He gives us the capacity to see ourselves in light of his grace, goodness, love, and mercy that occurred on the cross of Jesus Christ and calls us to extend that to others. And so the gospel changes the direction of our lives by changing the condition of our heart, right? It says that we have a heart of stone that's been replaced with a heart of flesh, but if we want to change our words, we've got to change our heart because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so if you thought, well, I'll just be quiet, that's not the answer. If you thought, well, I'll just say less, that's not the answer. The answer is to change our heart. Think back to David. When David uh, was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba, that was certainly a bad deal, right? Broke a number of commandments. But what was David's plea? And the one thing I think that he got right in the midst of all the craziness of killing Uriah and sleeping with Bathsheba and all the other things, what did he recognize? He recognized it as a heart problem as well. You see, most of the issues that we struggle with in life come back to the heart. And James is trying to help us see that. He says, look, it's like a spring, right? Only good things come out of that, or bad things. And you look at the, the similarities between what Jesus said and what James said, and there's almost a, a direct parallel there. In Psalm 51 or Psalm 50, verse uh, 10 through 12, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me, this is the important part, a willing spirit to sustain me. All the sinful things that David did, he recognized it came back to his heart. And so if you've said some things, the unfortunate thing is the words are... Are, are an issue, and you got to stop that, but it ultimately comes back to a heart issue. And just when you think James can't hit you harder than he already does, he comes and levels this kind of thing at you. When he says, look at the source. Is it a salt water? Is it fresh water? Is it a grape? Is it a fig? Jesus says the good things come out of the good things stored inside, and the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So today, what I thought would be helpful is because only you know ultimately what you've said. And Jesus takes it a step further and says, if you even think these things, it's in your heart. 
And so I thought today would be helpful just to have a time of reflection. But this, this is not just a James issue. This is not just a Jesus issue. Out of the 850 some odd Proverbs, over 100 of them have to do with our words. And if you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll see where our words have such power. And so today, I just want to give you a few moments. If Maybe you've said something that you wish you wouldn't have said. That you would have a few moments just to, one, ask God for forgiveness for that. And then ask him to create in you a clean heart. But then you can't just stop there because that's like, okay, I did that, check off the box, and we're good. We can go home and everybody can feel better and we'll watch football later today and we'll yell at that TV because that's just a TV and it won't really matter. No, create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I think that's the other trick. The other step is not just to allow God to create in us a clean heart, but then to give us a willing spirit to continue in that clean heart. And I think that's what he's asking us to do. I think that's what James is trying to help us understand as we look at our words and as we struggle with those. So only God can change your heart, but it's up to us to choose to build somebody up or tear somebody down. It's up to us to say nothing or maybe not say anything at all when we want to say something. And so it becomes such a difficult thing for us to wrestle with. But the great news is, is that God can change your heart. And if you don't have a relationship with him, that's what he wants to do. He wants to change your heart so that you would see him accurately, so that you'd see your sin correctly, so that you would see everything in light of what he's done. But my guess is for most of you, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a matter of continually allowing him to reshape your heart into his desires and not our own. So I want to give you just a few moments today, just to, if you need to ask for forgiveness, that you would start with that. If you need to ask for help, that you would do that. And that for some of us, maybe even it would move beyond that, though, it, it, into just an internal thing, and it moves to external, where we recognize that we've said something that we shouldn't have. Maybe you did it at Thanksgiving, and, and maybe Christmas is the time. You've got to clarify that. But we've got to move beyond that. We've got to take what God has given us and to step ahead. So let me give you a few moments just to, as you want to pray to yourself, and I'll close this in just a minute. God, we are so grateful that because of Jesus, we no longer stand condemned. Now, your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness and to cleanse us. And so, God, for myself and for every person in this room today, God, I pray that you would help us to remember that our words matter. And that, God, the reality is it's not if we struggle, but when we do. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to be quick to forgive from both ends, whether we've been hurt or we've hurt others. God, that we would be quick to seek reconciliation from you and them. 
But God, that you would stir something in our hearts, though, to understand the power of our words. That you would remind us that we all stumble and that there's grace for that. And we thank you for that. We recognize we don't deserve it. But God, we recognize that we need your help. In a world that is so consumed with what to say and that our voices matter and that that we are the most important thing, help us to see that we're not. God, I thank you for your son Jesus that gave us the perfect example of what this looks like. God, we're thankful for his sacrifice for the times that we don't measure up. So God, I pray that for each and every one of us that you would create in us a clean heart, that you would grant us a willing spirit to continue on, that whether it's our words or our actions or our thoughts or whatever it might be, God, that we would recognize today that we have freedom and forgiveness because of what your son Jesus did on the cross. And God, I pray that if somebody doesn't know you here today, that God, that they would seek you, that God, that they would run to you. But God, for so many of us today, we do know. We do know where our help comes from. So God, I pray that you would create in us today a clean heart that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.